We have a cat walking through our set. This is so unprofessional of him. I don't see a red light on. I know. <laughs> Need that uh, blinking recording light. And also to train the cat to watch for the blinking recording light. <laughs> I think we could get him to do it. At the very least, he would see it and then just kind of like flip it off with his little kitty paw. <laughs> see, my first thought was he would try and attack it like the laser pointer. That's probably more accurate. <laughs> everyone, and welcome to the same page. If you don't already know me, I'm your host, Jenna Clausen, lover of books, sympathizer of book-to-movie adaptations, and owner of an embarrassingly long TBR list. Each month, I'll be bringing on a bookish friend or two to discuss some of our current and favorite books, as well as a few recent binge-watches, and to share in a buddy read. Grab a drink, join the discussion, and let's find out if we're on the same page. Trigger warnings for the book that we'll be discussing in today's episode include death, binge drinking and alcoholism, mention of drug addiction and overdose, body horror, discussion of animal sacrifices, and infidelity. Please keep that in mind while you're listening and if you choose to read the book. My guest today is my husband Nick, returning to the podcast after co-hosting our Favorites of 2020 episode last December although he also frequently acts as the show's one-man IT department. Nick is getting ready to transition into law school, and while he isn't on Bookstagram, he's very good at Barnes & Noble runs and letting me ignore him when I'm reading. This Instagram husband doesn't have much social media, but you can follow the pod or tackling underscore TBR on Instagram to see lots of him in my stories. And with that, let's jump on into the episode. Hi. You're back. I'm back. One could say I never left. <laughs> One could say that. I See, that's better than the joke I was going to make, which oh. was something about uh, it didn't take me very long to track you down. Cause, you know where I live. Because I know where you live. You, I, I did catch you breathing over me while I slept, and it, it was a little off-putting, but I, <laughs> I know it was just to keep track of me for the podcast. Yes. Yeah. That is the reason. So welcome back to the podcast. We we are on the same page. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm so, so scared. Uh, <laughs> we are doing our book discussion today. Yeah. Woot. Very fun. So uh, just a reminder for anyone listening. Uh, today we are discussing someone who will love you in all your damaged glory. Surprising to nobody. There is cat hair all over the cover. Uh, anyone on the YouTubes, if you can see it, cover looks like this. Um, author is Raphael Bob Wax Waxberg. Waxberg, yeah. Waxberg. We talked about this the first episode, and then I apparently just forgot. Uh, <laughs> A while ago. Yeah, it, it does seem like about a year ago. It's been a long month. Uh, publisher is Knopf Publishing Group through Penguin Random House. Copyright year is 2019, and the number of pages, not including the acknowledgments, is 242. So, I know you talked about it a bit when we kind of introduced the book, but do you want to give a 
kind of spark notes version again of why you chose this book? Yeah. So I, it, it's written by the same author that writes and created Bojack Horseman, which is one of my favorite shows, uh, really kind of blends the melancholy and the humor in life and in love. Uh, so as soon as the uh, book came out in 2019, I snatched it up and read it in the same year it was published, which is a rarity for me. <laughs> uh, and yeah. Unheard of. For me, yeah. <laughs> um, and then before we get into our discussion, do you want to start us off with what you're drinking? Yeah, since I've already had a sip. Um, I'm, I'm, it's a drink of my own concoction i'm calling it the missed connection cute right man i miss theater like specifically named and themed cocktails just feels (laughs) very uh bar in the theater lobby yeah absolutely so wow i just i whoo that hit me right in the feels just then okay continue yeah it's a (laughs) gin watermelon juice a splash of elderflower liqueur and uh, some sparkling watermelon, uh, uh, some watermelon sparkling water nice. over top. Yeah, a little, little flute. And then I did watch you make mine this You time. sure did. Uh, but you called it a damaged glory? Yeah. Yeah. Delightful. Named after the book. Yes. And because it's very extra. It, it, it very much is. Uh, for anyone who can't see it, it is a perfect gradient from white to pink. Which also very well matches the cover of the book. Yeah, I totally did that intentionally. <laughs> uh, but do you want to tell people what is in it? Uh, if I can remember. Um, if <laughs> Mine was kind of just like, yeah, I'll put this in. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> one, one of a kind. This is version of the Everything But the Kitchen Sink. It, very that. Uh, it's vodka, elderflower liqueur, uh, lemon juice, lime juice, uh, green tea syrup, homemade, mm-hmm. and... Uh, float of um hibiscus sparkling water and uh grenadine over top gives it that gradient it's very pretty i haven't tried it yet i will because of that beautiful gradient i will need to stir it occasionally (laughs) so there will probably in the background be some accidental like bar cafe asmr like ambiance room sounds of me stirring my drink <laughs> so nice, just so that the sips aren't just grenadine sure but i'm excited for this book discussion i was talking to you a little bit about it and typically we will talk about favorite character scene and quote and cool let's just talk about rufus then <laughs> rufus is the best uh, <laughs> hot take, but also probably not a hot take. Apparently it's a hot take. Not many people like that story. Oh, that's so weird. Uh, but we will get into that. But basically, it felt weird to me to try and say a favorite character or a favorite scene because they're all such different stories and you can't Absolutely. really do that. So what we are going to do is we are going to kind of just touch on each of the stories as we go. Some I'm sure we will have more to discuss than others. Um, And just kind of go through the book that way. Uh, I wrote down some quotes. I know you had at least one that you grabbed. Um, So when we get to those stories, if we want to talk about those quotes, 
Um, and then if we want to point out when we get to them, like which stories were our favorites, things like that. I think that is kind of the move, kind of the way to go here. Yeah, makes sense to me. Sounds good. Uh, so the first story was Salted Circus Cashews, Swear to God. Um, I am going to be honest. I completely forgot about that one until you just said that. And it's very fun. Yeah. Um, in one sentence or less, it's, uh, if I remember correctly, because I, it's not a long story. And I think I, even in my reread, I gave it about half a second. Um, uh, it's a woman being offered, uh, salted cashews by some salted uh, circus cashews specifically. Right. She's like, what makes them circus cashews? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, it, it looks like a novelty can with the yeah. snakes inside. Um, and he's and the guy who's offering them to her is just like, why? Why would you not think they were circus cashews? What? What? Why? Right. And it's like, sure, you can think that they are snakes and just never find out and never taste these most delicious cashews ever. Or you can always think that they're cashews, and every once in a while you'll get snakes that jump out. But this time, it's totally not. And that's like dating. Yeah. It, it was a very... I liked this one a lot. A, just because I thought it was really fun. Um, and I like just kind of a short and sweet, like, this is going to be the theme of the book. Basically, yeah. And this is going to be the feel of the book. It wasn't a particularly, like, deep m- metaphor or, like, yeah. hard to follow, but it right. was just, like, very... It felt like it was sliding you into it. Absolutely. Into the book really easily. Yeah. This is, like is going to be talking about love, but it's going to be a little, little kooky. Yeah, a little silly and sometimes pretty deep, but always going to have that underlying kind of fun yeah, underneath, absolutely. which I really liked. So, speaking of kooky... Uh, oh, no, wait, that's not the next <laughs> story. Dang it. Which one? I was going to go straight to the the wedding one. Oh, yeah. Um, perfect segue. <laughs> um, next one, uh, also a short book one, was just called Short Stories. Little mm-hmm. vignettes just about dating in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, example was uh, number three, you're not like other girls, he said to every other girl. Yeah. But yeah, short stories, not, again, not particularly deep, but it's a just kind of continuing that easing in. Um, Which I really liked that it had a couple of stories, for lack of a better term, short stories isn't really, doesn't feel like a story because mm -hmm. it's kind of a grocery list of uh, situations, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, But I really liked that something like this had that kind of like ramping up to the rest of the book feeling. I feel like uh, I don't always get that in short story collections that I read. And part of that, I was thinking about it when I was reading, is we mentioned in the introduction to the book, but I don't pick up short story collections very often. And I was realizing when I was reading this that when I do, it's usually collections of short stories written by a vast variety of authors. Yeah, definitely. And so this was one of the few, if not the only example I could think of, of something that I've read, say, within the last five, six years, uh, where it was a collection of stories all by one author. Yeah, that wasn't like a celebrity's Mm -hmm. collection of essays. Mm -hmm. 
the Ali Wong book that you read or uh, yeah. the Anna Kendrick book that I have that I never read. So excited for that. Never read it. And here we go. Yeah. In fact, you bought that one when we were first dating. Yeah, that sounds right. And I read it sitting on your couch and you, you were like, you can't take that home with you because I'm going to read it. And I was like, okay. So I sat on your couch and read it. If you say so. Yeah. Fun fact. Neat. I love Anna Kendrick. <laughs> yeah, she's the best. Oh, anyway. Uh, the next book, uh, or next story. I hope you got eased in. Um, cause the next cause one, here it gets wild. Yeah. Here we take a turn. <laughs> so it's, uh, called a most blessed and auspicious occasion. Mm-hmm. And it's a story of a couple planning their wedding in a universe where things like goat sacrifices and promise eggs <laughs> and the like are just par for the course. Yeah. No rings, no rice, no elaborate yeah. bouquets. Like it's just goat sacrifices. <laughs> and lots of them. It so is a many. huge uh like topic of discussion for the main characters of this particular story, how many goats they're going to sacrifice at their wedding. And whether or not it's before the dance of the cuckolded sprite or whatever the yeah. fuck that was called. Yeah, the oh gosh, what was it? The cuckolded something sprite or spirit something was cuckold it was hilarious but yeah ton tons of goats tons of goat blood and sacrifices um that is definitely something that i will need to have put in the trigger warnings at the beginning of the episode <laughs> uh but um at one point because they are talking about not doing any and everyone's like oh my gosh but then you're uh, wedding your marriage will be cursed and all these things and so it's a discussion of well they don't want to have any and so people are like well you have to at least do 12 otherwise it doesn't count and her best friend at one point is like you have to do 38 my mom won't even go to a wedding with less than 38 goats being sacrificed <laughs> insanity yeah but i mean that's that's kind of how the wedding pro- planning a wedding feels at times Oh, 200%. Like it, this it will is, not surprise you, probably. I wrote down, I believe, two or three quotes from this one. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it just, if you were... Real. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're entering the wedding planning process and your only goal is to get married to the person that you love and have a nice ceremony, every part of a wedding feels extraneous to a certain extent yeah and so they, and even someone like me who dreamed about the big wedding as a kid and like i went into the wedding planning process knowing that there were certain parts of it that i don't think i didn't see that um <laughs> what's that uh comedians like straw how dare you do this to me in front of my friends <laughs> i don't i know what you're talking about but i don't yeah, remember I don't what know. it is um But so even someone like me who went in saying, I specifically want to do some of these things that might seem silly or unnecessary, but I have just always thought about being a part of it for me. Even then, it was, it's exhausting. And it is honestly really frustrating at times. One of of the quotes that I wrote down, let's see if I can read it from here without having to pick up my journal. I believe in you. Uh, bah, 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 bah. yeah. So it says, 
So if you ever want to hear a whole bunch of people's opinions about the right way to have a wedding, the best thing to do is tell people you are getting married, and then I guarantee you will be up to your armpits in other people's opinions. Yeah. Which, just the second that we got engaged, I love my family to bits, Um, and so this is not like an against them thing or anything, but obviously we got engaged and they were very excited. Mm Mm-hmm which meant that they were talking to other people about it. And so mm-hmm. other people got very excited. <laughs> and we got engaged on a family vacation. And the day that we got back from this vacation, people were asking us what our wedding date was going to be. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. Literally the next day. And we were like, we got engaged like three days ago. What? I don't... I don't know. In their defense, I am an over planner. So the notion that <laughs> I didn't have one already ready having, to go. Having a date picked. Um, but yeah, so just things like that. And like uh, moms of some of my best friends were telling me you should do it this way. And like this is how it needs to be done. And, you know, just people that you wouldn't think would feel like they have the right to have an opinion. You know, everyone is going to have an opinion if they are invited to a wedding. They're going to show up and to themselves, hopefully, or to other people, they will say, I would have done this differently. Yeah, I mean, that's That's what the whole premise of the hit TLC show for weddings. Right. But people that are not in, like, filling a role in our lives to where I would have expected that they would feel comfortable sharing those opinions with us in the wedding planning process. We're like coming out of the woodworks to (laughs) tell us how we should get married. Yeah. Insanity. So this story was almost a little too real for me at some (laughs) points, even though it was talking about how many goats they had to sacrifice at their wedding. Or like you mentioned the promise eggs and it's, You would think if you just said that to me as a this story has promise eggs instead of like engagement rings, basically, Mm -hmm. I would assume it's the little like hollowed out, beautifully painted, like that kind of thing, egg, right? About the size of a chicken egg. Surely, but I mean, I mean, no. And it is not. First of all, they are a solid metal. Yep. So they are very heavy no matter what size. Yep. Second, the smallest size that mm-hmm. the, this couple looked at mm-hmm. was a foot tall. That's so small, though. <laughs> and That's going to be on display in the home. Yeah, in the middle of the living room. And everybody's going to see it. the lady was like, oh, it's not uncommon for the sales egg. Or the sales egg, goodness. I'm very tired. The uh, promise egg to be the nicest thing that you own. And all of that. And so he basically gets guilted into buying this huge platinum, like jewel encrusted four foot tall egg for his fiance to give her on the wedding day because she fell in love with it because the sales lady was selling it so hard and it was very like this is what you buy when you actually love the person you're getting married to. <laughs> like, awful. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... That uh, he can't afford? Yeah. And, oh, it's crazy. It, it, that 
feels very true to the engagement ring buying process. I was going to say, I've obviously never shopped for one. Is that what it is like? So neither have I, first off. Um, (laughs) Because I bought your ring online when I was living in Korea. But I, I got all the input and everything. But I never had to deal with a like salesperson in that respect where I did have to deal with a salesperson was purchasing my class ring and designing that. Sure. And it's exactly like that. I mean, it, it's a little bit even worse because when you're buying a class ring through West point, you had just gotten a, uh, a loan, a career starter loan. So you just were basically playing with, almost $37,000 worth of money. So everything seemed within range and reasonable. So mine ended up being more expensive than I had expected because I got talked into more expensive options. Yeah. So that scene was crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the story in general is just about balancing the once in a lifetime versus the lifetime to me. Mm -hmm. And just finding the purpose of the day and finding like the root of your love, your, the love that you share as a couple. Yeah. At one point the guy says, I don't remember who he's talking to. If it's like the wedding planner or if it's one of the parents or something, but he he describes what they want as your basic Ikea one size fits all wedding, (laughs) which was just very funny to me. Uh, Just because he went in with the mindset of, I would like to marry this person that I love, and that is about all I care about. (laughs) But it was a very funny way to say that. And then one of my other big quotes that I I didn't write down because it was very long, so I did something that's rare for me, and I tabbed the book. Um, For those of you just listening, it it, it is not a dog-eared page. Oh, goodness. No, 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 no. Just, I, I, I fear some of the, some of your <laughs> listeners might worry. And I would never, <laughs> never Facebook let them think that. of like, you've been kidnapped and you're uh, supposed to post to your Facebook page so people think you're all right. What do you post so that people know you've secretly been kidnapped? <laughs> it would be something about dog earring pages. I think it's slightly evil. <laughs> anyway, it is it's also just that. very convenient when you're in seventh grade. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm not about it. Um, but <laughs> it's a post-it note. We're all safe. I have not been kidnapped. But um, this quote is: He and his fiance are fighting because super long story. But basically, he has been talked into wanting to have a little bit bigger of a wedding uh, out of kind of a duty to her father. And she asks why he wants to marry her in the first place. And, you know, they're fighting and it seems at first like maybe they're going to call it off, which I was going to be very saddened by. I was not emotionally prepared for that possible outcome. Um, but he responds all the normal reasons. And he says the normal reasons, like I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. It's all the dumb cliches about how even when I'm mad at you, I love you, and how every day the best part of it is waking up next to you. And it kills me that this is all the normal, typical people-in-love stuff, because I want to believe our love is special, that it's bigger and more interesting than any love that anyone else has had before. But the heartbreaking truth is my love for you is so consistent and predictable and boring. 
And I loved that. That's so sweet. I know. It was just one of those things. Like it, I am a huge hopeless romantic. You obviously know this. We've had this discussion early on in our even friendship, but relationship specifically. Uh, and you always read these books or you see these movies and there's this big uh, grand gesture or this big confession of love. And it's always like, I, these are feelings I've never felt before. No one could ever feel this way again. Uh, star-crossed lovers, one in a million, you know, all of these crazy big promises. And every once in a while, you kind of have to wonder if those things hold up as much. And so this is just like, I want to believe it's bigger than that, but it's really boring, but it's just really nice. And it's, you know, it makes me feel good. And it just, it made me really happy. I thought it was just like a very real life romantic. Yeah, absolutely. I loved that a lot. So you want to talk about the next one? Yeah. It's a missed connection M for W. Oh, I loved this one too. These two were two of my favorite stories. Yeah, absolutely. You want to tell them what it's about? Uh, well, I can. You have the cute little summary pulled up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I was like wanting to trade off and whatnot. But oh, I see. It's fine. I figured you would remember this one <laughs> because earlier I said it was one of my favorites. Yeah. Wow. That you you know what they say about people who assume things. They get to get to hear the summary of the. Ah, I don't know. They get to hear the summary of the book that they're the story that <laughs> he patiently requested. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this one was basically a man and a woman are on a subway, and they lock eyes, and they have this cute little connection, but they don't start talking to each other like. We only get his perspective. Uh, we don't get hers, but you kind of get the feeling that they're too shy and they don't talk to each other. And they don't get off at their respective stops. They just kind of keep going in the hopes that they will work up the courage to talk to this other person. And they end up staying on the subway for 60 years going yeah. back and forth <laughs> and never talk to each other. Yep. So this one spoke to me on a, in a uh, on a personal level as someone who uh, just really into the like this is this is how I'm gonna this is how I'm gonna approach this person the like talking yourself up to yeah it yeah, yeah. The, yeah so I mean like I my greatest sin in dating was always jumping forward in my mind too fast mm -hmm. not not always to an extent where it was like they were like slow down i'm not you're you're moving too fast but it was just a like before i would even ask a person out i was picturing the wedding kind of thing <laughs> so sure th this like living in your mind too fat too much to the extent that nothing ends up happening it mm -hmm. was like a very real kind of experience yeah well definitely and i would like to think that I've grown out of quite a few of these now as an adult, but as a kid into a teenager, I was still feeling a lot of those like gender norms and if the guy likes you, he will talk to you and he will call you 
and all of these things. And so, like, I didn't make a first move on a guy or towards a guy until I was an adult, just because, like, that wasn't really something that you saw in TV or in books very often or, you know, it wasn't as big of a thing. Yeah, and I guarantee you it would have scared the ever-loving crap out of the guy. <laughs> Been like, who the crap? Society does not wire <laughs> men to, like, receive those advances. Sure. They're not prepared. <laughs> Just, like, run away. Um. But yeah, and so I kind of in the same sense related to this one a lot where I would have kept sitting on the train or on the subway and just kind of waited for this guy to talk to me. Because like I said, they locked eyes. They had this moment. It talks about how when someone does something embarrassing in the car, they will like look at each other and kind of smile at each other, engage each other's reactions. And so... You can tell that they like each other and they can tell that the other person likes them. And so, yeah, I would have just sat my butt on that train and just kept going (laughs) and waiting. And I really liked it, but it was very strange to me. Not strange. It subverted my expectations. In the end, they've been on the subway for 60 years And she looks at him, an old lady now, and she just is so sad. And she finally gets up and gets off of the subway. And they still don't talk to each other. (laughs) And so he says something at the very end of the story about it's so weird to know what it's like to spend your life with someone and not know anything about them. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. It was Mm -hmm. a really cool metaphor for that. But I was like, damn, y'all. That is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So the next story was the Serial Monogamist's Guide to Important New York City Landmarks. And you said this one spoke to you a lot. It did. This one was, I mean, you listen to the title and it's kind of like, it sounds like a guidebook. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it reads too. Yeah. And so it is kind of like that where it is. Uh, on your left, you'll see the little church and blah, blah, but it is specifically uh, this woman who is like, this is, you know, such and such church where you and I sat on the front steps and ate ice cream that one day and whatever, uh, but then we broke up and then, or that's when I realized that... Uh, we weren't going to live happily ever after. And so I kind of checked out from the relationship and she goes to the next place and it's the same thing where it's like, it's this place where we had brunch one day, you know, whatever. But each one is a different partner in a different relationship that she's telling the story about. But yeah, so I didn't necessarily relate to it in that sense, in the sense of like, this was when I kind of checked out of the relationship and started looking for something new or whatever. But I, in high school, was the person who was kind of always in a relationship, you know? And yeah. I, my friends made fun of me for being a serial monogamous sometimes. <laughs> Shocking. 
Um, <laughs> and so I related to it a bit in that sense, but also in the sense of I'm just a very uh, emotionally driven and a very sentimental person. And so we are married and we are very happily married. I like to think. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. For the record. I don't know. I, okay, okay. I, I, I don't want Ooh. that laugh to be just like my <laughs> only like, contribution <laughs> to that sentiment. Writing, a, <laughs> writing like a runaway note. Um, <laughs> uh, so like happily in a relationship that has nothing to do with relationships I've been in, in the past, but every once in a while I will not so much now that we are not in Washington state, but, uh, when I was still living there, I would see my favorite, uh, like Friday night date spot with one of my exes. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that's where I always went with, with this person or, uh, you know, whatever, any example like that. And so I feel like not quite to the same extent that she did in the story, but to a certain extent, that's kind of how I see certain parts of my city too when I'm there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like it's almost kind of hard not to sometimes. And so I related to that part of it a lot where it was just kind of giving a tour of the city and saying, this is a great place. I can vouch for that because I always went there with my ex and, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, and it's the main character attributes a lot of, uh, sentimentality to inconspicuous kind of places. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, you think about like New York, New York specifically, mm -hmm. and just being in a place where every other block is a place where something famous happened or where something yeah, exists, absolutely. especially when certain boroughs and stuff like that. So you think about like, walking through central park and just, you can see an entire lifetime of relationships just in, in any given statue, any given pathway, any given bridge. We could mm -hmm. have broken up at the Balto statue and gotten proposed to at the John Lennon Memorial. What's the next story? I don't know. Oh, it's a uh, we men of science. Oh yeah. This one was wild. Heckin trippy. Um, so it's basically the story about a, Scientists that uh, jointly discovers a door to a parallel dimension uh, where everything like is makes it. Yes, I, I weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where everything is exactly the opposite of what it is in their dimension, um, and proceeds to fall in love and have an affair with his not wife. Um, yeah. And one thing that I did find interesting about the story, again, Nick and I were talking about it a little bit earlier today, because normally when I'm recording with someone, I'm pretty good at not talking about the book with them until we're recording. It's a little bit harder when we live together. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but we were talking about it a little bit, and I was telling him, this was one of the couple of stories that I felt like I got the gist of what the like underlying meaning was. But I don't know that I was quite smart enough to get all of it and fully understand it. No, they definitely like took like meta science with logic puzzles and mm -hmm. just kind of leaned into that 
probably a bit harder than they needed to, but they also wanted to make it as confusing as possible. So I think yeah. that when they... I mean, that was definitely part of the yeah, point. When yeah, when he... Uh, when the main character was stating the thesis or, like, coming to a conclusion, that felt like a nice respite from all of the confusing logic and science. For sure. Um, one thing I did really like about this story is that the reason that he basically has this idea for this anti-door or this negative door. I don't remember exactly what he calls it. I think it was anti-door. Was it? Um, is basically he's on a bus one day and he hears someone in a uh, distressing situation or I don't remember what the wording is, but basically he hears someone in trouble or in danger and doesn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. He stays sitting on the bus. And over the next couple of years, that really kind of nags at him. And he has this thought of, well, if there was this other version of reality, this like version of me that was the exact opposite of me, he would have done something and he would have, you know, saved the day. Right. Whatever. And so I thought that was a really interesting kind of backstory to why this became important to him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at, at the first go round, it's basically the opposite of his current life. Instead of a nerdy scientist, he's a big dumb jock. <laughs> um, and he finds himself like falling in love with his fake wife, not fake wife, uh, opposite the, like, wife. Shadow world. Yeah. Life, basically. But, uh, Every time he keeps going back and forth, what is the opposite is different mm -hmm. because he's made decisions in one world versus the other. Yeah. Um, At one point, his uh, friend and coworker who helped to invent this door with him dies. And then he goes and spends a day or however long through this anti-door and when he comes back that friend is alive again and had never died and he keeps ending up in different versions even of his own reality and it's right. just very confusing but yeah so it, it really leaned hard into that and i think that made the kind of like the thesis and conclusion of the story that much more poignant so i think that uh like thesis is kind of summed up in this quote a statue isn't built from the ground up. It's chiseled out of a block of marble. And I often wonder if we aren't likewise shaped by the qualities we lack, outlined by the empty space where the marble used to be. I'll be sitting on a train. I'll be lying awake in bed. I'll be watching a movie. I'll be laughing. And then all of a sudden, I'll be struck with the paralyzing truth. It's not what we do that makes us who we are. It's what we don't do that defines us. So just that kind of negative space in our life does more to shape who we are than what is what we do yeah yeah i liked that quote a lot it kind of reminded me of i don't remember exactly which book it was because there all of the episodes lately have kind of been messing with my brain because i'm busy doing other things also but uh, one of the quotes, or one of the books, excuse me, that I've talked about with someone on the podcast recently, like within 2021, one of the quotes that we talked about was um, 
something along the lines of what forms someone's opinion of you. Is it what you do or say towards them or is it an opinion that they already had going in that you don't have the ability to change? Yeah, definitely. And it felt very similar to that. Yeah. So it's just a very interesting idea, I think. Yeah, about your perception of both what's around you and then who you are as a person. So the next story uh, is another really short one. Uh, Lies We Told Each Other, a partial list. Mm-hmm. It's a, literally just a the story of a kind of damaged relationship told in just the lies they told each other. Yeah. So just things like, um, of course I love you. Same. <laughs> uh, things like, of course I love you. Things like, I'm at a work party, you know. I love that show. I love that show. Yeah. So some things that are pretty innocuous and some things that are not so much. Um, it seemed like he was trying to, like the kind of domino effect of mm-hmm. it all. It, and, of how they start so small. Right. But at the same point, I don't think that the first handful of dominoes are bad. Like, yeah, they... The first couple dates, you you kind of have to be more excited than necessary. And, you know, you have to find those small things that you have in common or might be able to get in common. And that's yeah. just kind of how you get to more dates. There's a difference between saying, like, I love your family and I love Boba. Like, yeah. exactly. one of those things you can avoid and at at some point be like, it's not actually my favorite thing, but I know you love it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is Boba. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is... I would like to remind you that my mom does listen to the show. And that you love her. <laughs> well, joke's on you, because I'm going to make the rest of this unlistenable unless you cut that. <laughs> that funny, funny goof. Um, no, uh, and the other thing is something fundamental to your partner's life. Like, yeah. they're... I, there are different classifications and just like stratifications between the two types. Right. And it goes all the way to, I believe the last couple on the list are like, I'm sorry, I will try harder and things where right. it kind of seems like either they broke up and are getting back together or they are on the verge of a breakup and are deciding not to. They're in that staying together no more than a week to a month longer than the relationship has fizzled out. Yeah. So I thought that one was interesting. Not too, too many thoughts on that one, but yeah, it was another just kind of like it was a page and a half. (laughs) There are a handful of the shorter stories that are not untread ground Mm -hmm. when it comes to analysis of like relationship and art. For sure. Um, I don't want to say it's, I love you, you're perfect now, change, kind of, like, <laughs> un, just, it, it, it's a, it's a rut, it's not even a, it's not even a path, it's just a hole in the ground, yeah. um, but yeah, um, next one, these are facts, when I understand it's a fairly polarizing story in this book, yeah, it seems like it, from what you were telling me, story about a 
just graduated from high school girl going on vacation to Mexico to a resort in Mexico with her parents and her estranged stepbrother, half brother, half brother. Yeah. Who she is about, um, he's 26. So about eight years older than her and who she hasn't really known or had any sort of relationship with at all since she was about six. Right. That, that age gap, age gap is, tough because you are completely different worlds yeah absolutely and i think the story did a good job of showing that yeah it definitely did um the thing that i took from it that i'm interested to get your take on it seemed like the different kind of person you become when you are not, when you are removed from your day-to-day life. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. I mean, we all have a vacation version of us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. A little bit looser, a little more friendly, and a little more just like receptive to the influences around us. Mm -hmm. You know, you deal with someone that you might not necessarily have a relationship with at work. That's not going to be enough to rip you from your routine, rip you from your personality. Right. But when everything around you is uncommon, you're a little bit more receptive to that. Like the main character was in this story Mm -hmm. where her half brother is this alcoholic or at the very least binge drinker Mm -hmm. um, who's just completely jaded, um, just fed up with, the world and their family and everything mm-hmm. just wants to sit on the beach and stare at the ocean with drinks. But yeah, th- this is one of the longer stories. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I understand why people don't like it. It doesn't feel like it has a whole lot of a payoff. Um, the uh, half brother continues to be an asshole. The uh, she leaves the resort and just kind of like, breaks down crying as she like kind of comprehends that going back to reality kind of thing where she's just been a fundamentally different person hanging out with her half brother for the entire vacation. Yeah. absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Doesn't really feel like it has a lot of payoff. The half brother isn't particularly. There's not really any character arc in it. No. Um, Which in this sense, I think is Fine. I can see why that would bug people because that is something that would usually bug me. Um, I definitely got those bits that you were talking about. I also, as the younger sister of older brothers, so you are the oldest, so you wouldn't necessarily have this uh, kind of perception of it necessarily. Um, But I kind of saw a lot of that bit of the story, I think. Which, honestly, I think might be partly why it felt so long to me and why I had a little bit of a harder time getting through that book or that story. Mm-hmm. Um, just because she is really wanting to have this relationship with this older brother that she's never really gotten to have 
And at one point, uh, he is saying something about people get to know me and then they love me and then they get tired of me. And she's yeah, real, saying, real Holden Caulfield kind of <laughs> very that. Um, and she's saying, well, I'm never going to get tired of you. And he's like, of course you are. Otherwise you're as crazy as I am. And she says in her inner monologue, something about in that moment, I hoped that I would always be as crazy as my older brother. Do you think she wanted that relationship specifically with him or was just latching on to the nearest non-parent influence? Yeah, I definitely think that was part of it. I think that because she didn't seem to particularly like him very much throughout the story. No, that's the thing. Uh, And you could tell in the story she was in the stage of kind of rebelling against her parents. Yeah, it, it, If you had changed the story from half brother to just other kid from another family on vacation, like it's every teen summer uh, rom-com in existence. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to uh, the next story, lunch with the person who dumped you. Mm-hmm. There's another one that I, really liked it felt uh i don't know i i don't really have a relationship with any of my exes that's Mm -hmm. more due to my moving around a whole bunch than anything and just not not really dating a whole lot to be honest um but i remember being struck by like a description of just that kind of relationship you have with an ex after a certain amount of time where you're not, it's not really emotionally charged anymore, mm-hmm. but I think you described it as a Xerox of a Xerox. Yeah. Where you're just, it's there. You can make it out. But yeah. It's not discernible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I liked this one. This was l- much less a story and much more an inner monologue. Uh, and kind of an inner debate a yeah, little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but basically, it was just this person got an email from an ex that said, do you want to meet for lunch or whatever? And it was this person going through the potential reasons for this lunch. And uh, it could be a giving your stuff back lunch and just like exchanging those items that after a breakup inevitably stay in your closet for three months or it could be a i've made a mistake let's get back together lunch which we all know those and most of the time they're a bad idea not always but most of the time for sure um or it could be a no hard feelings let's be friends lunch and so all these things and just kind of going through those scenarios and if it is this what will i do how will i react um so again super short much less a story than it was just kind of a person having an inner dialogue with themselves. But I found it really interesting. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I liked about this book in general is it made a story out of moments that are very fleeting and not necessarily going to be the highlight of any, anybody's story of any of a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So we can touch on briefly on my favorite story that I have nothing to talk about. <laughs> um, it's uh, called Rufus. Mm-hmm. 
and it is the story of a relationship that a man goes through as told by his dog. Yes. Yeah, like you said, not too much to say on this one. It's just like, it was super cute and just really wholesome. Yeah, I, that's, if you ever see the like question or Twitter trend or whatever, it's just like, what's one thing that will always make you laugh no matter how dumb (laughs) or how many times you hear it? Yeah. It is always like the, like personification of an animal or just like hearing or like speaking for an animal, just like the, uh, uh, was the, the BBC YouTube video with, uh, nighttime, daytime and oh, Alan yeah. and just like, yeah, that was Alan. the funniest, funniest video I've, Oh, it is still the funniest. It, it is still video. the funniest. Um, <laughs> but like my favorite thing in the world to do is talk for our pets. Just yes. like, they have elaborate backstories, and they do each have a, a separate voice and way of speaking. Yes. Uh, it's very important that we keep Maisie, Maisie does not do a cuss, unless she's very upset. Are you right? And Alistair, our cat, is um, one of those, like, uh, sad Victorian-era children from the painting. <laughs> Father struck baby. Father hates baby. Oh, anyway... It was just like, it was the purest and most wholesome story in the book. Mm-hmm. It was just truly a delight. <laughs> uh, one of the things I really liked about it was that when you see like a secret life of pets, <laughs> the animals are always very attuned into like what <laughs> is going on around them. They know yeah. the names for everything and how it, how it all works. And it's all just like very smart um <laughs> in this one the dog thinks the human is just fucking stupid yeah, he's talking about like uh we are companions and we live in the same house so one of us must try and understand the other one and it is it has become obvious that the human or the man monster uh cannot understand me so i must try and understand him <laughs> and it, that, that just seemed like a more correct way like i don't think the dog or our dog is like really fucking attuned into how doors work or where her food comes from she doesn't know that she can go through an open door unless it is fully open yes yeah Yeah. but i guarantee she's like what why why don't you understand what i'm saying like right. you put mr hedgehog <laughs> back in the in the box and that is an affront to me and god but that's my favorite thing okay we said we didn't have anything to say about this one now we're talking about <laughs> it because it's so cute and we need to talk about it but <laughs> but you were talking about like not knowing the words for things and so this dog is like refers to the couch as uh big comfy and refers to the bed as other room, big comfy, and uh, or no, big soft. Yeah, you, room, you, big soft. you do spend an entire like. <laughs> you have to stop every like other paragraph or so, and then just like figure out. figure out what exactly he's trying to talk about. But my my favorite part of the story happened on like the second page, and it was um, the dog was describing when the man monster says bad dog 
So bad dog, but one word, (laughs) (laughs) B-A-D-O-G, which was just a treat. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, I keep wanting to say she because our our dog is a girl. Uh, And I just pictured this whole thing happening with our dog. Fair. Um, but but at one point he's describing why and when the human says bad dog and how most of the time he doesn't really think he deserves it and the human just doesn't understand that it's not actually his fault uh but he talks about but today i while man monster was gone i found um little soft which i you figure out is one of his toys <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and I was playing with Little Soft, and then things got out of hand, <laughs> and I had to destroy Little Soft. <laughs> but but as soon as I was done, I knew that Man Monster would be upset that I destroyed Little Soft, <laughs> and so I, as soon as I heard him coming, I went into other room. <laughs> and he came in and said oh no and i came out all calm and casual and was like what why do you say oh no and it was this whole thing about like <laughs> and then i felt small bad about deceiving man monster about it actually being my fault for bad dog because i was the one that destroyed little soft and it was just it went on for a page and a half probably but it was so good for me it's i <laughs> i love it it's so like if you really only read s- one story from this book, read this one. It's, it's very good. <laughs> uh, oh, I loved it. I feel like we're running very long. Eh, I'll cut some stuff. Okay. Or it'll just be a long episode. Sure. Say. I'm we're talking d- about a ton of different stories. Yeah, I'm just trying to save you an edit. <laughs> um, uh, rules for taboo. Do you have anything to talk about with this one? It's basically just saying, explaining the rules of the board game taboo, but like also describing a deteriorating relationship yeah. in the process. I thought that it was a really interesting way to tell the story. I didn't really make any notes about this one other than uh, this is the story where we get uh, the title of the book from. That's which one it was in? Sorry, yes. I read this a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, we were flipping through it last night to uh, find where his quotes that he remembered, what stories those were from. Um, but yes, I made a note of it because we, we couldn't remember which one it was in it's from this one gotcha um but yeah no real thoughts i like i said thought it was an interesting way to tell this story it was a basically in the sense of like if your word is bed you can't say these words these are the taboo words but you can say uh we when we wake up in this it is hard for me because of this and like in describing these words they are kind of laying out their problems in their relationship right um so i enjoyed that one but yeah no, nothing big to say on it okay what about the next one up and comers about uh, a team of superheroes whose powers increase as they get drunk this one was wild I could so, not tell you a single thing about it i don't there remember was it. literally a line from this story where it was Something about um, this, I guess, is a story about superheroes, but mostly it's a story about a rock band. And I was like, I'm sorry. And yeah, basically, it's this like band that are all hanging out together and they're all drunk. And one of the members gives them all matching necklaces. And so they all put them on and they're all drunk and hanging out outside and they all get struck by lightning 
simultaneously. As you do. And it gives them superpowers, but because... As it does. Because of the situation in which they were all simultaneously struck by lightning, in order for their powers to work, they have to be wearing the necklaces, which this I can at least get behind. I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) But they also have to be drunk. Their powers do not work unless they are drunk. Which was so much for me. (laughs) This was the most, like... This is the most reminiscent of his other work with like Bojack Horseman stuff. Just a. I was going to say, just from the trailers of Bojack Horseman that I've seen, because I haven't seen any episodes, but this seemed like a storyline that he might have pitched for that. It, it just a. His stories or uh, the, the episodes of that show are always just kind of a domino effect of just like a crazy cartoon character making a crazy decision in the periphery that just kind of ties back to the main character at the end. It's just very like just an erratic series of decisions and events that just kind of work out to the craziest possible, uh, craziest possible solution. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. It ended up where these people obviously gained these superpowers and were fighting crime and all of that, but they were doing it mostly like they had brand deals, like they were influencers kind of. Yeah. That's, it was, it was just very strange. That, that's been this like p- part of a trend uh, in like a, a kind of a response to the MCU of it all. Hmm. Um, just like how superheroes would exist in real life today and, Sure. There, there are a couple different works. The Boys is the one I can think of that I still need to watch. But mm. yeah, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't know that this one was one of my favorite of the stories necessarily. No, I wouldn't expect it. But it was really interesting. I thought it was a really funny and kind of dumb, in a fun way, premise. But yeah, that's like I said. That that, that is what uh Bob Waxberg is really good at is just taking this like crazy thing and just finding some degree of poignancy in it. Yeah. And I definitely saw that in it, which I appreciated. Yeah. So next story, uh fairly straightforward, but it's a lot of people's favorite cause it's, pretty easy to understand uh move across the country mm-hmm. where it personifies sadness as someone who is trying to find you over vast distances yeah this was the last one that i did mark as a favorite for me as well um yeah partially for that reason but it's basically the i keep wanting to say main character but for a lot of these it's the only character so. oh yeah a, a lot of the stories are told in second person which is yeah. really interesting um, uh, but, uh, so the character moves, decides that they're going to escape their life as they know it and the sadness that comes with it, um, and their kind of depression there, and they just make this big impulsive move and they meet someone, they start living with them, they're in this beautiful relationship, and then they get home from grocery shopping one day and this this human version of sadness is sitting at their kitchen table and is like, 
do you, did you really think I wouldn't be able to find you? Like, we are the real love story, you and I. We are the ones that will be together through all of this, and you and I both know that. Uh, and so, instead of doing or saying anything against it, or instead of staying in the situation and seeing if they can work past it, the character decides to make another cross-country impulsive move and move again and just like texts their partner that they're living with that they're leaving and then just goes so it was yeah um so i'm gonna choose this to insert the interview answer he gave that i really liked um so in the press tour for this book he did an interview with the atlantic and the interviewer said one of the things the stories do is really challenge the, the idea that love can fix a person or single-handedly diminish their sadness. Is that a trope you've been frustrated by in pop culture depictions? And he responded, yes, all of them. I understand why sometimes it's nice to have a happy ending. I have some stories that are exactly that. They're in love at the end, and it's fabulous. Good for them. But I do think overwhelmingly we are told as a culture that that is a happy ending. I think we as a culture have internalized this idea that once you find the person that you're supposed to be with, you will be happy. And then if you are not happy, it either means you're doing something wrong or you did not find the person you're supposed to be with. And I think both of those ideas are really dangerous. I try to counter that a little bit in my work or suggest that, no, you cannot depend on a person to make you happy. A person can be a part of that and should be. If a person is making you unhappy, that is a bad situation. But I don't want to suggest the problem is just that you need to find a better person. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. I have basically no thoughts about the rest of the stories. Okay. But we're, we're just going to kind of blow through them, and if you would like to comment on any of them, go for mm -hmm. it. Uh, next one is you want to know what plays are like. Where a, oh, I forgot about that Yeah, one. this is a major like <laughs> trigger warning kind of story. Um, yeah. uh, where a woman attends a play that her brother wrote that she gradually realizes is describing her, their other brother's suicide sister, but yes. sister, excuse me, been a year yeah. and a half. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. And it's not even like the story is the play that he wrote is inspired by it or based on it. It's like full on recounting it, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. to the point where he, and the director, like, coached the actress playing their sister who has since passed on her exact mannerisms. And so she's, like, watching this actress full-on portraying her dead sister and, like, kicking off her shoes the way her sister always did when she walked into a room or, you know, whatever. And it, w it was just a lot. Um... And yeah, the sister had passed away from a drug overdose. And basically the play is a an exact retelling of this family trip one weekend. Um, but as if they all saw her addiction and were able to stop it. And so it, it was just, this one was a lot. I like you said, didn't have too many feelings about it other than this was kind of hard, of a hard read just in the sense of not because I related to it personally, but it was just, it was hard to read this about even other fictional people. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, 
it definitely does a good job of p- placing you in that main character's shoes and that you're mm-hmm. both just kind of like gradually realizing what's going on. It's just, it's an interesting examination of the differences in how people process that kind of trauma. Yeah. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I don't have a whole lot of thought. It's, I imagine very triggering to some people. Um, A lot of the trigger warnings that will have been at the beginning of this episode are from this story and the men of science story. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So just if you are going to read the book, keep in mind going into this story, even as someone who was not personally triggered by the triggers in this story, it was just, it was a tough read. So the next story uh, is the poem which again, I have really no thoughts that uh, the interview I was reading with him in the Atlantic, um, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, he mentioned that he wrote some of these stories before Bojack Horseman and some of them <laughs> during and after um, this felt very like early on kind yeah. of thing. Like it was, it was just that. like a very, he wasn't doing anything in, not interesting um anything new with it like it was just it felt very different from the other stories very very different from his other stuff but it felt like a a crack at trying this rather than like having inspiration to take him there for sure yeah i can definitely see that this one was interesting um just because at this point it's the second to last story i think or is there two more after this there is three more after this wait really Oh, boy. I remembered it being later than that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but so at this point, you are quite invested in this book. You are, uh, you have read most of the stories. And it's nice, if only in the sense that it is a break in template. Yeah, definitely. And so it is um, a fun kind of switch to have. The only note that I made about this one is I really liked this quote. And it is the last like line and a half, two lines from this story. And it says, a person is a thing that is tricky to read, but it's trickier yet to be read. And I just really liked that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, we've, we uh, have a new guest star. We have been joined by the cat. Sir, what are your thoughts on this book? Do not put the microphone up to the cat, Nicholas. I want to know his thoughts. He just wants your drink. No, sir. You do not get to have a gin and sparkling water. (laughs) Now, what are your thoughts on Rufus? Okay, bye, friend. Okay. Uh, Next story is The Average of All Possible Things. Mm -hmm. Which, if I remember right, is a story about a woman having an affair with her boss, but I don't remember anything else. Yeah, she... Uh, was having an affair with her boss, and he broke up with her at work during the workday. Neat. Yeah. Well, because basically he was, she was asking about this promotion that someone else had just gotten. And he, after a while of trying to dodge the question, was like, stop bringing it up. You were never going to get that promotion. Like, just stop talking about it. And when she asks why, he says, well, you don't take this seriously as a career and he kind of implies that she's not uh 
like high up at the company material she is wife material and cool i can't imagine why but she takes offense to that um (laughs) women be sensitive yeah well go figure and one of her co-workers this uh secretary assistant i don't remember for sure um but she is always going and like getting the lunch orders and stuff and she shows up in lucinda's office one day and like puts down a box of cereal on her desk and she's like well i just i just thought you would like this and look there's a cute little minions watch in there and blah blah blah, and they kind of joke about it and the whole time the main character is like okay, but why? Like, why did she bring me this cereal? And at the end of the story, um, this, I want to say receptionist, comes in and is like, I feel like I should explain about the box of cereal. And she's like, I would like that. Thank you so much. Uh, And she says, well, I was always walking by your office and every time I saw you, you were looking at your phone, you were frowning. And it seemed like anytime you went to check the time, you were sad or you were angry because you were having to check your phone that's right okay and so she says i really just wanted to get you a watch but i figured the higher-ups would be mad at me doing that and so i got you a box of cereal that had a watch as a prize in it because (laughs) it's a food item and i figured they couldn't be mad about it and it was just like so sweet and it is this moment with her and this act of someone just being so sweet and looking out for her that uh, helps her figure out that the the guy was a royal jerk. Um, <laughs> and she starts wearing the Minions watch to work. And she, like, starts kicking ass and taking names again. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that one. Would you wear a Minions watch? I don't know. Would you wear it if I gave it to you in a box of cereal? <laughs> if there was a cute story like that, I would at least wear it sometimes. I don't know that it would be, like, an everyday <laughs> thing. Partially because I have my watch that does other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I wear it every once in a while. Neat. Do the whole paper rings uh, verse mm. at you. Cute. I love that song. <laughs> All right. Uh, second to last story, more of the you that you already are. Mm-hmm. Is that really the name of it? Is yeah. It? <laughs> okay. Um, this is a long one. Uh, you said like 40 some pages, um, good for a, like plane ride from Chicago to Dallas or something like that. Um, but it's about a man who is a mascot in a theme park for, uh, about the presidents. It, it, it's a lot of things in one. It's simultaneously about him trying to work his way up from Chester A. Arthur to a president that somebody knows or cares about which is hilarious um him trying to like get in a relationship with one of his co-workers who works in costumes um while she is falling in love with a frankenstein's monster of like five u.s presidents because budget cuts and why not i bet he was heckin charming yeah I don't know. It, it, it's weird. It's a little Frankenstein's monster. His wife, uh, his mom's in the hospital at one point. So I, it, it's weird. I remember the premise and basically nothing else. Yeah. 
I don't really have too much to say about this one. Yeah, it's long. It's a fun story. It it is definitely the most like narratively interesting, I would say. Um, but I don't, yeah, not a whole lot to take away. The last story, we finally made it after almost two hours of recording. Jesus, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we will be close on Friday, 18 July, <laughs> which is just taking a typo and overanalyzing it to death. Are, are we going to be close on Friday? What does that mean? Is the store going to be closed? And just every iteration thereof. Yeah. But it was cool. It basically ended up being these two people just met completely by chance and had a moment and went back to one of their apartments and like spent the night together and then in the morning went their separate ways and were still strangers. But it was, yeah, it was an interesting way to look at it through the like lens of the note. Mm -hmm. The sign on the store. The sign, yeah. yeah. Nice little melancholy end to a slightly melancholy book. All right. But again, kind of like the first two stories really eased you in, I feel like, especially after a few of the last stories in the book were kind of long and kind of heavy. This was a nice, like, almost like a palate cleanser. Like, it was just a quick, this is the end of the book. In case you missed it, this is the theme. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, and we can kind of transition this into, like, final or lasting impressions but mm -hmm. his shorter stories stuck with me a bit more i would say yeah. just because they were what i was looking for in this book which was just like yeah. poignant observations and just like takes that were not necessarily like too far out there but just like maybe thoughts that you had had in the shower right before you went to bed out mm -hmm. on paper kind of thing. Yeah, it felt very much like that. Um, I would say for the most part, the shorter ones were my favorites too. Uh, it felt like, I don't know if it's maybe just because it was shorter and so the meaning and the heart and the thought behind it, all of that had to be fit into fewer characters, you know? Um but it just felt like they really made their point and got their story across and just really, like, kind of hit. Yeah, I, the, the shortest stories were definitely him, like, playing with form rather than content, mm -hmm. um, which was fun to read and then move yeah. on from in a quick manner. Uh, whereas if you are a fan of his kind of, like, surreal uh, impressions and comedy, mm -hmm. you were generally a bit more favorable towards the longer stories. So I, I, I liked a lot of those longer stories too, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they were just not inherently what I was expecting, mm -hmm. uh, when I picked up the book. Yeah, definitely fair. I think I really loved a good mix of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that there are a couple that, like you said, will kind of stick in my brain more so than others. Um, but yeah, overall, it was a really enjoyable read for the most part. Really quick. Would have been a much quicker read if I wasn't 
my brain wasn't kind of avoiding reading right now, but that's a personal thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so good pick. I liked it a lot. Nice. Thanks. (laughs) You done good, kid. I did what I could, which was pick a book off a shelf. (laughs) Well, you you picked two and then... We together chose the right one. Yeah, one I had read. We're such a good team. <laughs> the other one I hadn't read, which would have been a, just a whole other logistical nightmare. <laughs> well, partially we picked the one that you had read um, because we only have one copy and didn't want to buy another copy. Well, I, I, that's why I picked the other one because I have it on Kindle as well. Oh, that's funny. I didn't remember that. Um, <laughs> you're so funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we kind of covered all the bases i think do you have any final thoughts on anything or the book as a whole no i mean i uh anybody that would interested in the book i would probably direct towards bojack horseman first sure just to give an impression of like what you're getting into in a much more digestible form yeah um kind of get the writing style before you jump into the written format yeah um Mm -hmm. That being said, if anybody were to pick up this book and discover, you know, three pages into a story that you're just not feeling it, move on. You're, yeah, absolutely. The, 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 nothing, it, the longer stories have a degree of payoff that I think is earned for people that stick through them. But mm-hmm. if you're just not feeling a premise or a story, just move on to the next one. There are some really good thoughts and observations in the shorter stories that I think anybody would enjoy. Yeah, I think that it is definitely worth noting if there is one like you said, that you're not meshing with, don't let that be a reason that you put the book down. There will be other stories that you will like better, I think. Yeah, definitely. There's one in there, at least, for everybody. And on that note. On that note, you can email us anytime at thesamepagepod at gmail.com. If you have any books you think that I should read for the podcast with my guests, any questions, collaboration requests, if maybe you've read any of our upcoming books once they are announced and you had any favorite parts, favorite quotes, discussion questions you would like included in the discussion, please send me a message on Instagram, send me an email. I would love for you folks to be a part of those discussions with my guests and I. Stop licking my feet, please. No. Nicholas. <laughs> you're going to make people think I actually mean you when I mean the dog and it's going to be weird. Well, if they turn into the in, if they turn into the YouTube uh and <laughs> like and subscribe, hit that smash uh, smash that subscribe button. Um they'll they'll know. They'll know the true story. And they'll either get uh you know, an, a very boring answer or a very scandalous story. What it was the dog. Husband. It was the dog. Uh, If you want to reach out to me specifically at any time, you can find my blog that houses all of my full reviews, tours, all that jazz at tacklingtbr.home.blog, as well as on Instagram at tackling underscore TBR. And then as as for the podcast, you can find and connect with us anytime on Instagram at the same page podcast, on Twitter at the same page pod, and can find us on both Facebook and YouTube now that my lovely husband fixed the videos. I did it. Woo! Uh, just by searching for the same page podcast. And then the last thing that I will say, as always, is if y'all are listening to these episodes and you like what you hear, thank you so much. That is incredibly kind of you. Uh, much appreciated. 
If you were to decide to go to Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever it is you're listening and subscribing, leaving a positive rating. Five stars, please. (laughs) And uh, even leaving your thoughts in a review. It would just mean the world. It takes only a minute or two, but it really helps small uh, shows like this get introduced to more bookish folks. And who wouldn't want this to be introduced to more bookish folks? I know. Who would be embarrassed by that? Yeah. (laughs) I love you. I love you too. (laughs) And on that note, we have to go... uh, finalize how many goat sacrifices are going to be at the wedding i still say like 35 35 is a good good number but i do kind of like a round number you and you're fine do do 30 so we have some discussing to do and also i need to go to sleep my great aunt's Uh, (laughs) not going to come for less than 32 Uh, so anyway we are going to sign off and I will be back. Yes, hello, Maisel. I know. The dog is so much. She's decided this is her podcast. She now. wants to go on the Big Soft. Uh, <laughs> so I will be back next week with a new guest. I'm very excited. It's going to be uh, April is my birthday month. So we are going to be getting some just kind of fun episodes for a bit, which will be very nice for me. Nice. And with that, the dog is refusing to leave my lap until we go downstairs. So (laughs) I will see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.